81% of white evangelical Christians voted for Donald Trump last year, despite his bragging about sexual assault, despite his multiple marriages, despite his wealth and complete lack of concern for the poor, despite his flip-flopping on matters of abortion and saying women who had them needed to be punished, despite the lies and racism and bigotry, it seems like they were going to vote for whoever the Republican candidate was, no matter what. And that, no matter what, continues to play out today. Trump is a deeply unpopular president whose decisions and morals are constantly questioned. He may be nominating the religious rights dream team to judicial seats, including the Supreme Court, but beyond that, it's hard to see how he fits the mold of a, quote, family values conservative who inspires love for Jesus. So how did he do it? How did he convince evangelicals to support him, not just in the election, but to this day? And will there be any consequences for either side moving forward? Someone who knows the answer to that, or at least has studied it more than a lot of other people, is Stephen Mansfield. He is a New York Times bestselling author of books like The Faith of George W. Bush, The Faith of Barack Obama, and Lincoln's Battle with God, among other works of history and biography. He's the founder of the Mansfield Group, a research and publishing firm. He is also a speaker and consultant. He holds a doctorate in history and literature and lives in Nashville, Tennessee and Washington, D.C. with his wife, Beverly. His new book is called Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. Stephen, thanks so much for joining me. Let me just start off with a pretty basic question. How religious is Donald Trump? Well, he's churched, I think is probably the best way to say it. He's not a deeply religious man. He's not a man who has uh, fully embraced the Christian message at the deepest places of his heart, but he did grow up in church. He was strongly influenced by Norman Vincent Peale, one of the most popular motivational speakers in American history. And so this is a man shaped by the church and shaped by a sort of lightly Christian version of motivational philosophy and thinking that we're all familiar with today. You know, your words shape your destiny. If you conceive it, you can achieve it, that kind of thing. So this is this is not a deeply Christian man. This is a man loosely shaped by Christianity, but more importantly, uh, shaped by a kind of a motivational view of the world. So it sounds like today he would be more influenced by someone like Joel Osteen than someone on like the far religious right. That, yeah. And, and by the way, even the religious right would say that uh, the kind of influence that he uh, was under under Norman Vincent Peale was not true Orthodox Christianity. So yes, much, much more. Um, think, just think of any of the of the motivational speakers that uh, you know you might think of in our generation. Uh, that's that's more the kind of influence that happened uh, in church for Donald Trump than than the deeper Christian message of holiness and personal transformation and things of that nature. So then I guess the question would be, how influential really was that upbringing? Because if he's been brought up by these kind of inspirational theologians, preachers, whatever you want to call them, I mean, I, one of the least, one of the words I hear least in describing Donald Trump is inspirational uh, to a lot of people. So it doesn't sound like that resonates. I think we could make an argument that even, you know, Orthodox Christianity or any form of it doesn't really guide him. So what is it that he's influenced by, if not religion? Or, or I guess, what part of religion actually influences his day-to-day thinking? Well, I think what you have is two phases in Donald Trump's life. Uh, during the majority of his life, 
uh, he was definitely his, his. I think it's safe to say that the main thing that guided his life was to win. And Norman Vincent Peale, unfortunately, did not give him uh, anything but footnotes or reinforcement for that basic vision of winning. Norman Vincent Peale gave him tools for wanting to win. The the impact upon him um, that is more consistently from the Christian gospel is fairly recent. So it's best to understand Donald Trump as a man who has come to um, a, a new level of influence from the Christians around him, but his earlier life is really more that motivational speak that we've been talking about. So you have a man uh, who is 70 years under the influence of sort of, I want to win at all costs, you know, I want to wreak vengeance upon my, my business enemies, um, I want to dominate in every field that I, I go and endeavor in. Uh, and only recently has he sort of been confronted, so to speak, by what Christianity really is. So he's a man in tension with himself. He's a man who's inconsistent. Um, he, he's a man who's unlearned. Um, and quite frankly, a pretty poor champion of Christianity on the national stage. And just so we're clear, if I have this right, you are a conservative Christian yourself, but you are not a Trump supporter. That's correct. I, I, and I'm right of center politically, but not a Trump supporter. And yes, I'm, a, I'm what you might call just a traditional garden variety a Christian. That's correct. Did you have a candidate you supported in 2016? No, I actually didn't. I um, uh, I ended up writing in my lo- my local congressman, <laughs> who I like very much, just because I believe in voting. But I couldn't support anybody in the in the uh, general election. Okay, so let me get back to Donald Trump and how he's influenced by the Christian right, because this one has really been puzzling for me because he panders, I think, to the religious right, but. I don't really understand why that works. And I'll give you examples of what I mean. He says things like, you know, with me as president, you'll be able to say Merry Christmas again. But they've always had that ability to do that. He says he'll eliminate the Johnson Amendment, which would allow pastors to promote candidates from the pulpit without losing the church's tax exemption. But I think only like one church in the past decade has lost a tax exemption over that. So it's not like it was a real problem. Uh, I mean, he says he'll appoint pro, uh, pro-life justices, which he is doing, but it's not like abortion's going to end thanks to even one Supreme Court decision if he gets another appointment. So I guess I'm wondering, are they really swayed by that sort of pandering because he's promising them things they either already have or can't change? Yeah, you're making a great point. And I think the I think what we have to do is understand how the average uh, member of the religious right, how the average conservative religious person in America felt uh, in that brief chasm between uh, as, as the Obama administration was coming to the to an end and as the as Hillary Clinton was the champion uh, in the Democratic Party. Um, the average re- religious conservative in America uh, felt traumatized by the Obama administration and terrified of the Hillary Clinton administration. Now, you and I may not feel that way, but that's the survey show. That's how they felt. Um, they, they felt that Obama had declared war on their values. They felt that, um, you know, his championing of LGBT issues and his strong support for abortion full term. Um, and even, even down to some of the lawsuits that happened against Catholic nuns and the green family of Hobby Lobby, all of that echoed big in evangelical conservative religious world in America. Again, it might not, might not have had that effect on you and I, but that's definitely what happened. Hillary Clinton terrified that crowd in the same way. Um, you know, she spoke openly of, of, uh, the fact that traditional religious views were going to have to change for, uh, for abortion rights to prevail. And uh, this, this kind of language that she used often terrified, 
um, the, the folks on the, on the right religiously. And, you know, this was a woman who had defended the Defense of Marriage Act with scripture notations when she, when her husband signed it into law, um, but then danced at parties to celebrate the Obergefell v. Hodges Supreme Court ruling making same-sex uh, marriage legal. So, uh, Again, whether you and I share this view or not, the the, the folks, uh, conservative evangelicals, conservative religious people, were terrified of these two. So here comes Donald Trump, and they're not they're not really fobbed off. They're not really won by promises about Christmas or uh, even that much about the Johnson administration. Or I'm sorry, the Johnson Amendment, uh, which he made a lot of. What what they what they mainly are glad to have is somebody who's going to be listening to them. Uh, what the what they mainly are drawn to is the fact that. Even if this man is pandering, at least he's paying attention. Um, you know, to put it humorously, they didn't feel like they could get a phone call answered by the Obama administration, and they thought they'd be completely shut out by the Hillary Clinton administration. So Donald Trump's pandering, that sounds so silly when you and I talk about it, felt good to them in the sense that he was at least courting their favor, something that had not been going on for that tribe for at least eight years. And, and that, I think, explains uh, why they turned to him. And, and of course, we can talk about their religious leaders having sold out so fully. But for the most part, for the average religious conservative, that's what was going on in their thinking. St- strategically speaking, if you're on the religious right, has that payoff worked out? Because yes, he's given you the lip service. Yes, he's taken your phone calls and he has that evangelical advisory council. I can't imagine he's been good for their image. I mean, He's dragging them down, I feel, worse than some of the religious right, you know, uh, people that the left always complains about. Yeah, I can't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. I think they made a deal with the devil, so to speak. I'm not, I don't mean to be calling him the devil. I'm just using that as a phrase. Um, the fact is that many of these people on the right, uh, especially these religious leaders, were so terrified uh, and so traumatized that they went far beyond just giving an endorsement. Um, they actually joined the man's PR team. They actually championed him in their pulpits. And again, it's because they felt like America had begun to declare war on them, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I, you, 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 it probably isn't circulated much uh, in whatever culture you uh, dwell in, but in a, in a church culture, the fact that the Hobby Lobby fam, the, the family, the Green family that owns Hobby Lobby, was being sued to the tune of a million three a day for not wanting to offer abortifacients as part of their insurance company uh, coverage for their employees. This was huge. The U.S. government was suing these people. And so when, when that begins to echo in churches, when it begins to echo from some of these major media ministries, when it echoes uh, you know, in the rallies and so on, and, and religious leaders pick up the, uh, the, the, the chant and express the fear, uh, people began to rally. And I, of course, I think that you're absolutely right that they've, they've, they've um, to use my phrase, they now own Donald Trump. Whatever he does, um, he, that he is going to reflect on them, and they're going to have to give an answer for him. And I think they, of course, went way too far. I mean, I can, I can tell you stories that curl your hair. I mean, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., while introducing Donald Trump at Liberty University, compared him to Jesus, compared him to Martin Luther King Jr., compared him to Reagan, and compared him to his own father, and then said that Donald Trump was the greatest visionary of our age and that he would welcome a Trump Tower on the campus of Liberty University. Now, this is beyond just an introduction or endorsement. This is actually getting in bed with the man. And that's what most of the religious right did, and I think it's going to backfire on them. At this point, is there anything Trump could do to lose their support? What would it take? 
Oh, he, he'd have to uh, restrict their liberties. He'd have to shut down access for religious leaders. He'd have to do something strident, pro-abortion, strident, pro-LGBT rights. Um, he'd have to completely reverse himself on something that is a hot-button issue for them. Um, it could happen, I suppose. Um, unfortunately, not enough of them have been put off by his you know, Twitter wars and his you know, foul language and insulting NFL players and things of that nature. Um, some of them have been. There's definitely a buyer's remorse going on, uh, but not at the not at the upper levels uh, and not publicly. But, so as, as of yet, whatever that might be to answer your question hasn't happened yet. I guess that's what bothers me, that nothing he's done up to this point, whether it's the bragging about sexual assault or the, the way he deals with uh, different controversial issues, none of that has swayed them. And it's like if he just appoints a moderate Supreme court justice or a bunch of moderates to, you know, appellate courts. I, I feel like that might do it, but that gives me bigger concerns about the religious right at this point, that that's the one thing that might turn them off to him, but all the other stuff, the racism, the bigotry, that's not enough for them. And what does that say about their values? Well, exactly. And not, not too long ago, they were asked, you know, how long are you going to hang with this guy? I mean, this guy is making a hash of the American presidency. His White House is in chaos. You know, he violates your values all the time. And a number of these religious leaders said, well, we have access with him we've never had with any other president in recent memory. So in other words, their approach to him was transactional. And when you do that as a, as a, as a religious leader, you leave your lofty platform, you leave your uh, claim to any kind of divine inspiration, and you make it about pure power politics. But I have to say that that's what was going on even during the campaigns. Um, you know, when the, that horrible video came, that came out with Donald Trump talking about grabbing women's private parts and so on, uh, a number of huge national Christian voices uh, went on the air and basically said, boys will be boys. Well, now, that kind of conduct that Donald Trump had engaged in was the kind of thing they would have decried from their pulpits loudly and fiercely. But because, again, they had already stepped into this transactional mode, um, they made excuses for it. And again, I think, I think ultimately, long term, they're going to they're gonna end up paying for it and paying for it dearly. Let me go back to something you said about Obama that, you know, they just obviously they weren't fans of him. And I want to ask you at some point, I get why they didn't want to vote for Hillary Clinton. I don't know why more of them didn't do what you said you did and just write in someone or not vote, because if you can't vote for her on the issues, I still feel that it would be a completely respectable position to say, well, I can't vote for the guy I would typically vote for with the Republican Party because of all these horrible things he's done. So you know what? If they aren't giving me what I want, I'm going to set this one out until they can find a candidate who can actually appeal to me. Um, I don't know why more of them didn't do that. But on the same line, let me ask you a different question, which is that you said, you know, Obama turned them off because of his pro-choice, uh, him being pro-choice. He supported LGBT rights, at least in office. But in terms of being a Christian, I mean, I can't think of another president who was more genuinely religious in the sense that he was a family man, a man of decency. He talked about his Christian faith with ease. And I'm wondering, like, does any of that matter anymore? Or is it simply let us tell us where you stand on abortion and LGBT rights, and then we'll tell you if you're like a true Christian or not. Well, you put your finger on a major issue for me personally, because I'm the guy who wrote the faith of, of Barack Obama. I'm the guy who contended 
that he is in fact a Christian um, and and not, does not identify with the Muslim faith as his personal faith. Um, and I got walloped for it from the right. Um, I literally had death threats over having written that book. And the reason was that while I don't agree with him politically on a number of issues, I'm slightly right of center, not hard right, um, that I, I took seriously his Christian faith. I believed he uh, was a Christian. I had uh, attended Trinity Church of Christ, United Church of Christ in South Chicago. I had interviewed the president, etc. And I was convinced uh, that, that he was a genuine Christian. Um, he's the kind of man who could give a talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus around Easter time to his White House staff, and they'd all be in tears and remember it for the rest of their lives. So I didn't, I didn't doubt his Christian faith. I think he believes at core what an evangelical believes about Jesus being divine and being resurrected and uh, being the Son of God. But, but because he was uh, left leaning politically, you could not convince uh, people on the right that he was, in fact, a Christian. I mean, I, I've been taken to task on the air since just doing media for this recent book release, um, just for, for actually saying that Barack Obama was a Christian. Um, and so I, I'm with you. I think he was a Christian. I think we should have, he is a Christian. We should have, um, the right should have approached him that way. Um, the whole idea of him, you know, being a Muslim or not being born in America, all that was just silliness on the right and a distraction and a waste of time. Um, this was this was a man who was a serious Christian, but very left leaning politically. And most of America, at least conservative America, Southern America, uh, does not tend to have an understanding of how you can be extremely left leaning politically and be uh, a, a relatively traditional Christian uh, on the core issues of the Christian faith. And that dichotomy is going on to this day. So what does it mean to be an evangelical Christian, at least in the political sense these days? Is it more important to believe in the resurrection of Christ or to be against abortion and gay rights? Well, that's a great question. And that's that fight is happening right now. That discussion, that debate is happening right now. To be an evangelical simply means that you believe the core Christian truths about Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he died for our sins, that he's raised from the dead, etc., uh, and that you want other, be, other people to be as well. In fact, the thing that most distinguishes an evangelical is that he or she is eager for others to join that, that, his faith, not seeing as one among many, but seeing it as the, as the way to truth. Um, but what you have now is political evangelicalism, which is beyond those core issues about spirituality and, and, and the core truths of the Christian faith. But now it gets translated into uh, the political realm. And at that point, I'll have to say that there's been a marriage between evangelicalism and the far right, um, so that the, the very idea that government has a role in addressing certain social situations is anathema to a lot of people who consider themselves evangelicals and speak of themselves as evangelicals politically because they've so aligned themselves with the far right. Um, and that's, that's part of the issue. Can there be a politically moderate evangelicalism in politics? Can there be um, a, a left-leaning evangelicalism? Well, my answer is yes. My answer is that you're a Christian based on your commitment to Jesus, and we'll hammer out political things after that. But I'm not going to deny that you're a Christian um, based on your political views. But that is not where the majority of evangelicals are in America. And so as a result... Uh, Barack Obama gets, you know, anathematized and banished, um, and many people on the left do as well, though they may believe the core truths of Christianity that these more conservative evangelicals do. And that battle uh, is one that's ongoing and one that Donald Trump puts his finger right in the middle of, 
and polarizes dramatically. I know I know evangelical families that where people are not did not have Thanksgiving together uh, last year for the first time in 50 years over the issues of Donald Trump, evangelicalism, and the very things we're discussing now. So this is this is an ongoing fracture point uh, in American religion. I want to ask you about the religious left again, but before I do that. I get why evangelicals may have questioned Hillary Clinton's, you know, religious faith, whatever she talked about. It's hard for even me to question uh, Tim Kaine's faith. I mean, that guy's a former missionary. He spoke, he speaks about his religion all the time. Did they have, what were the conversations about uh, Tim Kaine during the election and, or did it just not matter Oh, it didn't matter. Uh, to put it rather sarcastically, it would be as though you found out that Adolf Hitler's secretary was an evangelical Christian. Uh, you know, you would ignore that because it was Adolf Hitler who was who was at the top of the top of the billing there. Okay, uh, didn't matter then. Such animosity towards Hillary Clinton, such disgust with her husband, uh, such dislike of position she's taken. Many of them feeling, by the way, uh, that she had betrayed their cause uh, on a number of issues. Um, that it just, it, quite frankly, it just didn't matter. Tim Kaine's a guy I like, don't agree with him on everything politically. I thought he was a, a smart choice um, and, a, and an articulate spokesman for the religious left. But trust me, that was that was gaining no ground with the religious right. Would it Did it help her with Democrats at all, do you think, to pick him? I actually, as much as I like him personally, I would have chosen differently for her. I think she should have gone... Um, with a, with a, I, I would have loved to have seen an African American male or someone who reached to a different segment and um, someone who was other than her, so to speak. I think that would have been better on the ticket. I don't know that he provided. If you're asking my political opinion, yeah, yeah. rather than my religious opinion, um, my political opinion is that he wasn't enough other from her. Here you had uh, the first woman to sort of break a glass ceiling, and it was wonderful. But bolstering the ticket, you need somebody different from her. And just the fact that he was a you know Catholic, and just the fact that he'd been a missionary, um, didn't help him very much. The fact that he spoke Spanish didn't help him very much. Um, I would have preferred somebody further different from him to reach the segments of society that the ticket needed to reach to. But, you know, she wasn't calling me for those political opinions, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> yeah, there was a, I forgot the first name, but the Castro brother from Texas who was in the, made the short list for a lot of pundits too, who yes. she didn't pick. Um, is There was a front page article in the New York Times maybe a month or two ago about the rise or supposed rise of the religious left. How big of a force are they going to play in 2018 and 2020? I think they have the potential to be huge. Now, the religious left sometimes has a hard time getting its uh, getting its message congealed and clear. Um, you know, it's um, it, it reminds me of with it when uh, the chairman of the party, Democratic Party, Dean John, I think his name is John Dean. Uh, used to say, hey, uh, we, we don't we, we, we share a lot of things with Christian people as though Christian people couldn't be Democrats, as though they were other from him. You know, uh -huh. so you mean Howard uh, Dean or I, I'm sorry, I may be saying the wrong man's name. Um, the, the one who was the party chairman for a lot of years. And yeah, Howard Dean, Howard Dean, Howard. Yes, yeah. yes thank you. Um, sorry about that. No, John, Dean was, John Dean was Watergate. Um, yeah. So, uh, he, you know, he, he would just foul it up pretty badly. So I, I think given that many of these religious right leaders are sort of in bed uh, with Donald Trump. And given that that's increasingly going sour in the mouths of average Americans, the religious left could step forward and make a case that uh, that's gone too far. Now, the problem, I'll say, for the religious left is that they so often are on the extreme left. 
And what, what the people who are going to be winnable in this next election, quite frankly, are people like me uh, who are moderate. So I'm, I'm open to a Democrat who makes sense to me. I'm not, I'm, I consider myself an independent. I'm not a Republican. Um, so there are going to be a whole lot of people on the center who are turned off by Donald Trump, are open to other options, but aren't interested in the extreme left. And so if the, if the religious left um, you know, ponders its message a bit, figures out its relationship with the Democratic Party, and makes sense to people of faith at a fundamental level, I think they can gain a lot of ground in this next election. When you say extreme left on certain issues, what are you talking about? Well, uh, for example, um, if if uh, if a person of faith is making a case for uh, nationalized health care, a person of faith is making a case for uh, caring for immigrants, a person of faith is making a case for, um, you know, other other issues like that, a resistance, a resistance to uh, war for a light and transitory reason that makes sense to me. Uh, but I'm pro-life. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't mind obviously saying it. I'm very public about that. But I'm pro-life. So if if what I'm being told um, is that to to align with the religious left is to be uh, pro-choice, for example, um, or to fully embrace an unchecked LGBT agenda, then I'm not going to be as engaged. So see, I'm I'm maybe seventy percent in their direction, but not fully, and. Part of the problem is that we we need. Uh, I think I think to put it bluntly, the religious left is going to have to be a bigger tent kind of operation if it's going to welcome a lot of the moderates uh, who are those sort of Reagan, you know, conservatives, Reagan Democrats, people in the middle um, who, who they could win, but they can't come from the extreme edges. I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I want to touch on both of those things you said. Sure. Uh, is it not enough to say from a religious left perspective that? Politically, as in terms of policy, we are pro-choice. We think you should be able to make that decision. But as people of faith, we want to persuade you not to have an abortion, and we will continue pushing for advocating for that. But we shouldn't advocate like force our beliefs on you. Is that not enough? Well, that is enough for me. Perhaps in the LGBT arrangement, it's not enough for me with abortion because I consider the abortion to be the taking of a human life. So. Uh, it's in that sense, it's not unlike some of the issues during the Civil War. Uh, let's say that I'm an abolitionist. I believe that um, all slaves are human beings and ought to be free. They ought to be fully citizens. Well, then any any sort of halfway stance, any sort of two thirds compromise would not have been enough for me. And that's that's sort of how I feel about abortion. I, I just think it's the you know it's it's not it's not that I consider myself a Christian feminist, so I, it's not about women's rights. It really is for me fundamentally about. I believe abortion is the is the taking of a human life, and so once you, if you can if you can kind of imagine my position, then a halfway step is not really going to be um, be welcome. And, and just, that 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 maybe explains why that uh, some of the compromises don't work for me. And just so I'm pinning you down right on this. Sure. Uh, what about is is saying, you know, exceptions for rape, incest, things like that? Is that also a compromise? No, not for me. Um, I, I know it's a little bit inconsistent, but I think in the case of the mother's health, uh, I think there were a few about a few other exceptions. You know, abortion is a procedure that's essential in some cases. Um, but convenience abortions, uh, you know, abortions as as family planning, um, I'm not I'm not in favor of. I, mean, you, I don't want to see anybody hurt or harmed or shot or you know, I'm not on the wacko edge of this. But that is what I believe. Are you also for or against like access to contraception, birth control, things like that? 
completely for completely for yeah i'm i'm uh believe in it completely uh, it's it's only it's only the taking of a human life in the womb that i'm opposed to and then going back to what you said about lgbt issues you said uh, I, i'm going from memory here uh you said you didn't support like i don't know extreme lgbt issues or something but i'm trying to figure out what's what is that what because to me yeah. it yeah, seems like everything great. they're asking for is equality and not anything further than that sure great question um, I, I want to see my gay friends protected. I want to see them have rights. I want to see them inherit. I want to see them n- never be banned from each other's presence at, in a hospital in a moment of extreme extremity. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I absolutely want to see those rights protected and I want to see them be free and equal uh, citizens. No, no question about that. So that's, that's not even in, in, in question. I'm not one who wants to see them shot or persecuted in any way. That's crazy. Um, but uh, there, there feel, it feels to me as though there's a bit of an agenda and, and that Obergefell, for example, as, as, as law, um, modified the entire definition of marriage in our society. Um, and so that was that necessary? Was it necessary to rewrite the, the, the very definition of marriage in our society and thus put, you know, traditional religious organizations under threat, which is exactly what has happened? Um, how? Because uh, I'm, I'm failing to see how that was a threat to anyone. No, no, it's great. I don't mind these questions at all. Thank you for asking them. Um, let's say that I'm a pastor of a church. I'm not. And let's say we're traditional um, in our views. And let's say that you come as a gay person and you want to be married and we say we don't do that. Well, our tax exempt status is threatened. How? Uh, <laughs> I don't get that because that's never yeah. happened, has it? It hasn't happened yet, but the legal basis is there for it. Because most I, I, of the liberals, I, I, most of the liberals that I've talked to or read are pretty clear that your church, anyone's church, is welcome to say we don't do these marriages and that's not on the table. No one's saying pastors should be forced to perform these services for their church or anything like that. That's why it seems like this uh, idea that Obergefell was you know, too far or impeding on someone's religious freedom seemed absurd to me because churches could do everything they were always doing and advocate for whatever they were always advocating for. Well, and I would come back to you and I would say, is that, is that stated in the law? See, I, I know what some people have said, nah, we don't intend for that to happen. But I mean, for heaven's sakes, we had, we had state prosecution of somebody who wouldn't bake a cake. So you can understand, and I and I don't I don't. But there is a difference between a church pastor, a private tax exempt, and like a public business, which is what that debate is all about. But but I would I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know if you are or not. But I would okay. Well, I would. The question for me is: Are the legal protections there for those for those churches Christians of traditional values? That's as far as I understand. Those are not there. Supreme Court. Uh, basically redefined marriage in this country, and now that's federal law, and now any organization that benefits from federal largesse has that largesse in question um, if they don't subscribe to that. You've got chaplains leaving the military over this, etc. So I'm not an extremist, and I'm not, you know, I'm not running around like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling, but yeah, I think the Obergefell is, was, was a flawed decision. Not because I'm not willing to see my gay friends married, but because I think it redefined marriage in America and then made that federal law, which does at least had, there's the legal basis for the very thing you and I are just discussing, which is a church being uh, being threatened because it doesn't doesn't uh, you know conduct gay marriages, uh, yeah. same sex marriages, and that's uh, I'm, again I, I'm not a lawyer. You say you're not, but that as I understand it, 
that that legal protection has not been provided yet. And so a lot of people are freaked out about it. Yeah, I feel like that whole debate from the religious right side is the sky is falling and I'm just not seeing that happening. And I don't know anyone who's trying to push on that. I have two other questions for you before I go. One is, how will this alignment with Donald Trump? I can argue for why it might hurt them politically. Uh, how is this going to impact the religious right moving forward? Well, there, there's a there's a pretty serious charge of hypocrisy that is possible to these people. Um, if they got fully in bed with Donald Trump, became part of his PR team, pushed, urged him on their congregations, supported him in every way, overlooking um, his conduct, his behavior, his crassness, crassness his racism. You know, uh, in, in my case, for example, I, I have African-American family members. I attend a large African-American church in D.C., one of the main reasons I couldn't vote for Donald Trump is that I just felt like he, he was constantly inciting racial tension. A young, dreadlocked African-American man gets beaten up in one of his rallies, and Trump offers to pay the white guy, um, pay the white guy's legal fees. Well, I can't look my nephews in the face with that. I can't look my friends in the face and support Donald Trump. So the hypocrisy, um, the supporting of Donald Trump contrary to values that they had been preaching from their pulpits— um, and, and, and then I have to say the fact that, you know, we're talking about 81% of white evangelicals voting for Donald Trump, but there are millions and millions of evangelicals of color out there who are looking at these white evangelicals and saying, well, it didn't seem to matter to you very much that Donald Trump was a racist. So uh, I think they're, they're, the religious right, these, these conservative evangelicals are, who support Donald Trump so full-throatedly, are in danger of losing, obviously, the millennials, who are very social justice-oriented, are in danger of losing um, the evangelicals of color, religious conservatives of color, um, and, and are in danger, in danger of those who hold high standards for you know things like holiness and biblical teaching um, that some of these people seem to have turned a blind eye to in order to support Donald Trump. And if any of that or all of that happens— well, then, you know, as I say in the book, they're, they're, the banner of their, of their um, religious views is going to be driven from the public debate, not taken seriously for a generation. And, and that'll be extremely damaging to what they're hoping to accomplish. I can only pray. Um, what, is, <laughs> what is the deal with younger evangelicals? Wait, then? Minute, wait a minute. Did you just say you could only pray? That's awesome. I'm, 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 I'm making progress. No. There you go. Uh, what's just the like political that. outlook for like younger evangelicals? Because they seem as turned off by what the adults in their churches are doing as people like me. Yeah, they are. They are. And I, I think they've, they've lost that next generation. I think it's contributing to the nuns movement at ONES. Um, and I think that they are very turned off because in a lot of these churches, it's become, it's become deeply political. Um, the fears have swept through the pulpits and swept through the pews and it's deeply political. So the, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time on university campuses I think I think you know faith in God, faith in Jesus is as strong as ever. Um, but a lot of these kids don't want to be associated with these churches um, that are so right wing politically and um, so disconnected from their their understanding, the millennials' understanding of social justice. So yeah, I think there's going to be real damage, real loss, um, and you'll see an increase in the nuns' movement, and you'll see some. Um, I think I think uh, it, it, churches will arise that are uh, relatively. Uh, traditional in their core Christian message, but lean more towards social justice. And that combination is going to be very inviting to the millennials. And really quick, what is it about Donald Trump and this alignment that upsets younger evangelicals the most? Is it the racism? Is it po uh, certain political issues in specific? 
I got to tell you, I think just ahead of that is just the fact, you know, what was it that Stephen Colbert said recently that he has an anemic firefly of a soul. I think that was the quote. <laughs> yeah. Um, and right. I think, I think it's the sense that this man is somehow deeply flawed, that he's missing parts, that he's dead of soul. I think that's number one. Number two then, um, is the, is that as an outgrowth of that is the pettiness. And I think number three then is his, uh, lack of, uh, a seemingly seeming lack of a, of, of a living social conscience. I mean, this is a guy who's picking a Twitter war with the mayor of San Juan while she's standing elbow deep in the waters of Irma. Um, when you, when you watch that and you're 22 year old and you care about society, you're just turned off forever. And I think that's what's happening. Actually, I lied. I have one more question for you. If you had a chance to interview Trump, what would you like to ask him? Wow. You threw me a curve. I would probably most ask him, um, if he doesn't, if, why he does not recognize the disconnect between his daily conduct in the Oval Office and the traditional Christianity that he claims. Good answer. That's what I'd ask. Whether we'd answer, <laughs> whether we'd answer it or not, I don't yeah. know, but that's what I'd ask. Uh, Stephen Mansfield, thank you for your time. The book is Choosing Donald Trump, God, Anger, Hope, and Why Christian Conservatives Supported Him. Uh, we'll have a link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you for your time. Hey, it's been great to be with you. Thank you so much.